Good morning. In today's headlines, the investigation into Hunter Biden continues. Now a group of GOP senators write Attorney General Merrick Garland with a special request. Border protection agents are facing rising numbers of migrants attempting to cross to the United States' southern border illegally. A pro-life rally and march took place in Pennsylvania's capital yesterday. Around 5,000 participants took part in the second annual March for Life. A mother tells the story of her autistic daughter who believed she was transgender but then changed her mind. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, and I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Tuesday, September 20th. And first, for today, we have new developments in the federal investigation of President Biden's son. More than 30 Republican senators have called on the Attorney General to give Hunter Biden's investigator special counsel protections. They argue that such a move would help assure the American people that the probe is free from political influence amid widespread allegations of bias at the Department of Justice. Hunter Biden has been investigated by the Office of Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss since 2018. Prosecutors have not publicly disclosed what is being investigated. However, documents from the investigation and people who have testified to a grand jury have shed some light on the matter. They say it involves looking into Hunter Biden's financial dealings with entities in China and other foreign countries. The senators write that there is mounting evidence that Hunter Biden committed numerous federal crimes. The crimes include fraud, money laundering and foreign lobbying violations. The House Oversight Committee could vote on the resolution as early as Tuesday. Turning now to immigration, the number of migrants attempting to cross illegally into the U.S. from Mexico in fiscal year 2022 passed 2 million people in August. That's according to government data released Monday. Customs and Border Patrol says almost a quarter of those apprehensions involve individuals who were already stopped in the last year. The number is an all-time high. Nearly 158,000 people crossed illegally into the U.S. in August alone. That's a 2.2% increase from the month before. Most are coming from Venezuela, Nicaragua and Cuba. The CBP commissioner says failing communist regimes in those countries are driving them to the U.S. Because of strained diplomatic relations with those authoritarian regimes, the U.S. usually does not deport people from those countries. They are generally allowed to stay in the U.S. while their asylum claims are processed. The Biden administration is planning to ramp up assistance to countries that host these migrants, like Colombia, Ecuador, and Costa Rica. And the Federation for American Immigration Reform recently estimated that illegal immigrants arriving under the Biden administration are costing taxpayers over $20 billion each year. And in a border state, Republican Governor Greg Abbott has extended his polling lead over Democratic challenger Beto O'Rourke. He now enjoys a nine-point advantage in the race for Texas governor. That's up from just a seven-point lead last month. The new data is from a Dallas Morning News and University of Texas poll. Abbott now leads O'Rourke 47 to 38 percent. The poll surveyed around 1,300 registered voters. It was conducted from September 6th until the 13th and has a margin of error of about three percentage points. According to the Dallas Morning News, political scientists are accrediting Abbott's recent barrage of TV ads that went unanswered for weeks. They also point to a slight rightward shift of voters on abortion, the border, and crime. Governor Abbott has been a key figure in recent news headlines. That's due to the controversial transport of illegal immigrants to so-called sanctuary cities such as Chicago, New York, and Martha's Vineyard.
And one of DeSantis's most vocal critics, California Governor Gavin Newsom, is challenging him to a one-on-one -on -one debate. And today's David Lime has that story. What uh, Ron DeSantis is doing is... California Governor Gavin Newsom has challenged Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis to a debate. This comes as the two states head towards the gubernatorial elections in November. On Friday, DeSantis remarked that Newsom's, quote, hair gel is interfering with his brain function after Newsom asked the DOJ to investigate whether migrants were lured across the country based on false promises of employment. Newsom then said via Twitter, calling DeSantis, busy playing politics with people's lives. Let's take this up and debate. I'll bring my hair gel, you bring your hairspray. Newsom tweeted in response to an idea from journalist Dan Rather about televising a CNN debate between the two governors. Newsom recently called the transporting of illegal immigrants morally reprehensible, but news about one of Newsom's previous programs resurfaced. According to Fox News, Newsom launched the Homeward Bound program when he was mayor of San Francisco, which gave homeless people one-way bus tickets out of the city. Both governors are up for re-election this November, but it remains to be seen whether they will both run for U.S. presidency in 2024. Heading to Pennsylvania, thousands of residents met in the state's capital of Harrisburg on Monday to take part in a pro-life rally. Participants of the March for Life gathered at the front steps of the state capitol building in the afternoon. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on yesterday's event. It was the second annual Pennsylvania March for Life. There's such power in rallying the grassroots. An estimated 5,000 people were in attendance. It's important that babies have the opportunity to be born, that we stand up and show the pro-life politicians that uh, they have support, and to show the folks on the other side that, yes, we're praying for them, and hopefully one day they'll come around. With love, we go out to meet people one-on-one, -on -one, to encounter them, and to help change their hearts and their minds so that they have an understanding of how important life truly is. It was the first march for the group since the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade, first of all, didn't make abortion illegal in the country. It just allowed more freedom at the level of the states to enact good pro-life policies. So we're going to do that at the level of the states. But even more importantly, culture is upstream of politics, and we work to change hearts and minds. We work for that day when abortion is unthinkable. Many attendees said they are working toward a day when abortion will be unthinkable and that there are resources out there to support potential parents. We're not judgmental. We're not, we don't condemn, we're not violent or loud or angry, but we're trying to let young women know, young couples, men and women, because men are victims too, that they, have, they can choose life and there's all kinds of help available because once they make that choice to take their own child's life, it stays with them forever. We cannot make these votes without you. Speakers addressed the crowds on the topic of abortion and shared their view on the importance of protecting unborn life. After the rally, participants marched around the Capitol. Politicians attending voiced their concerns and showed their support. I came here because life is so important and we need to stand up and defend life. Because if you have people in government that aren't willing to protect your life, they're not going to protect any of your rights or anything of yours. The March for Life in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania currently allows abortion until 24 weeks of pregnancy. The uh, Supreme Court ruling is going to come back to the states for further, for further voting. I tell people to be very, very careful about the upcoming election. Know the candidates, know who you're voting for, 
if you want to see Pennsylvania in the right place on life. State Senator Doug Mastriano, who is running for governor of Pennsylvania, says he will work to limit the procedure if elected. In Pennsylvania, 18% of our African American our population is made up of uh, African American and Latinos, about 18% of our population. That population tragically makes up more than half of the abortions. This is a genocide. We need to choose life. Mastriano's opponent, Democrat Josh Shapiro, says he will veto any bills limiting abortion that pass his desk should he become governor. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The state of Virginia has overhauled transgender student policies on pronouns, bathrooms, and sports. The new guidelines state that public schools cannot affirm a student's gender without parents' written requests. Bathroom and locker room use will be based on a student's sex defined as a biological sex at birth. Student sports participation will also be sex-based unless federal laws require otherwise. And the new policies are the, a complete reversal of the previous guidelines defining transgender as a student's self-identifying term. Those rules took effect in 2021 under former Democratic Governor Ralph Northam. And a mother in Los Angeles says her autistic teenage daughter only thought she was transgender because of outside influence. While she says adults are free to decide for themselves, that influence can do a lot of damage to children. Her daughter's case isn't the only one, so now she is making a documentary to tell the stories of detransitioners called Affirmation Generation. I spoke to her to know more. We're bringing in Vera Lindner to tell us more about her story and about where her daughter is now. Good to have you, Vera. It's my honor. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Well, you're saying that your daughter was persuaded to transition. And please tell me more about why you think it was outside influence. The public schools in California are ground zero of indoctrination, uh, specifically the so-called GSA club, which used to be called the Gay and Straight Alliance. And I thought, oh, this is good. She's going to learn the history of gay struggles. She's going to learn compassion. But instead, in this club, the kids are told things such as, oh, you can select your gender. When you were born, the doctor made a mistake. They assigned you female or male. Uh, completely very strange ideas that confuse the children and also make them depressed because now they realize there's this, you know, 1,000 genders that they could possibly be. And this is all confusion. But what happens, the children are alienated from their core community values, core family values, such as truth, honesty, ability to trust your perceptions. So the school was the first place where this indoctrination started. And uh, the girls who are autistic or neurodivergent Asperger's, as my daughter is, are very susceptible to uh, obsess about such ideas such radical ideas. So um, I've watched them for about two years, seventh grade and eighth mm -hmm. grade. This is all they talked about, gender. Yeah, that's really interesting. Say, can, you, can you tell me more about how autism plays a role in that? Well, the, the autistic children um, have something called hyperfixations or special interests where they really delve into a topic and they begin to read, talk. They're completely obsessed. They also tend to be obsessive. So um, they think in black and white. They cannot see nuance. They cannot see, oh, this is just a 
you know, puberty exploration. Let's now explore. But they see, oh, I'm, I'm going to be like this. I was born in the wrong body. Everything, all the weirdness I feel and the fact that I feel like an outsider is now explained by this notion that I was told that I'm born in the wrong body. So suddenly this becomes the explanation for their social awkwardness, mm -hmm. their inability to make friends, uh, their obsessions with things. Oh, nobody likes me. Everybody calls me weirdo because I'm transgender. And obviously, you know, there, there are medical diagnoses well established, like, you know, social anxiety, depression, anxiety. So these children have real, real medical diagnoses. Mm -hmm. But instead, now there's this kind of a band-aid that's being put upon all of these real diagnoses. Oh, you're transgender. You have to transition. You have to start taking testosterone and, um, and go get surgeries. So instead of real healing of these, of these diagnoses, um, the kids are being prescribed to go on a medical path and, and really obsess with this gender, which is a big, gigantic thing. I mean, uh, you are born in the wrong body. You're not a girl. Now that we're on this topic, because every individual obviously is free to choose what they want to do, right? But you say there yeah. needs to be a line, if I understand you correctly. So where do you draw that line? Um, as far as I'm concerned, if adults can do whatever they want, this is a free country. They have free will to exercise. However, uh, the children are very um, susceptible to influences. And um, the children should not be told such completely untruthful things. Children should not be told that the doctor prescribed the sex or you can, you can pick and choose your sex, like pick and choose candy from a vending machine. That's not how it works. And uh, in that sense, the teachers and the school have been profoundly damaging. And the fact that this ideology is being taught in American schools is just devastating for, for the kids because they get really confused and also really depressed. Basically, right. everything that they, they were, they've ever known to be truth and fact and reality is now being undermined by teachers casually saying, oh, you can, you can change your sex. I really uh, can't wait to explore this um, and see this documentary. So thank you so much for coming on, and I will definitely keep an eye out for that. Thanks a lot, Vera Lindler. Let me just mention, the documentary is titled Affirmation Generation and will be available in late November on YouTube and Vimeo. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. She said her daughter is doing well now, and Vera also said they changed schools after this. She's totally okay with her daughter's teenage exploration and will allow her to look into ideas, but it just isn't a teacher's role to tell kids, look, you were wrong in the, uh, you were born in the wrong body. Coming up, Russia continues to gamble with a radiation disaster. This time, a missile struck in close proximity to Ukraine's second largest nuclear plant. And a magnitude 7.6 earthquake hit Mexico's central Pacific coast Monday. At least one person was killed. Stay tuned for more after the break. Welcome back. Ukraine is warning of nuclear terrorism after a Russian missile strike. Authorities say the strike blasted a crater close to a nuclear power plant in southern Ukraine on Monday. It also damaged nearby industrial equipment, but did not hit its three reactors. The proximity of the strike renewed fears that Russia's nearly seven-month-long war in Ukraine might produce a radiation disaster. A South Ukraine nuclear power plant is Ukraine's second largest. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin threatened last week to step up attacks on Ukrainian infrastructure after multiple battlefield setbacks. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Zelensky is warning Russian soldiers to flee or surrender. This, as Kyiv said its troops had crossed a major river, paving the way for an assault on Russia's forces in the eastern Donbas region. The International Atomic Energy Agency recently condemned the shelling and attack of nuclear power facilities. A nuclear power plant can never be a pawn of war. Its fate must not be decided by military means. The consequences of such action are far too grave. Meanwhile, the International Atomic Energy Association has recently set out plans for a security protection zone around the Zaporizhia plant. The proposal is under discussion with Ukraine and Russia. And another news, Hurricane Fiona was churning north on Monday evening after unleashing a storm in the Dominican Republic and bringing mudslides and power outages to Puerto Rico. The Category 1 hurricane will likely become a Category 3 once it hits the Turks and Caicos Islands. A plantain farm on Puerto Rico's southwestern coast took a major hit from the storm. On Monday, the farm's plantain trees were largely flattened with bunches of fruit strewn across the ground. In eastern portions of the Dominican Republic, forecasters say life-threatening flash and urban flooding is likely for early Tuesday. Fiona is expected to strengthen in the coming days, nearing Bermuda by the end of the week. The National Hurricane Center calls for Fiona to reach Category 3 by Wednesday, making it the first major hurricane of the year in the Atlantic. Nearly 90% of Puerto Rico remained without power on Monday. Officials said it would likely take days to connect the whole island of 3.3 million people. And a magnitude 7.6 earthquake shook Mexico's central Pacific coast on Monday. It happened on the anniversary of quakes that battered the country in 1985 and 2017. Earthquake drills are held annually on September 19th across Mexico. Shortly after the drills, many people evacuated their homes when a real seismic alarm went off. Authorities say the alert was sounded close to two minutes before the quake struck, giving residents time to evacuate. Two hospitals reported damage in the western state of Michoacan near the epicenter of the earthquake. Power was knocked out in parts of central Roma area of Mexico City. At least one person was killed in the Pacific port of Manzanillo after a wall collapsed in a store. Some areas in Mexico were still on high alert yesterday. A tsunami warning was issued for parts of Mexico's coast. Officials say waves could reach 3 to 9 feet above the tide level. And on the very same day of that powerful earthquake, a group of pets and their owners were preparing to save the day. Entities Cost MS has the story. These are the first generation of rescue dogs in Mexico City. Their goal? To save their owners in case of earthquakes or other natural disasters. More than 30 dogs and their owners attended a graduation ceremony on Monday. The owners of the recent graduates now have a different view of the future. I love it because this is a new stage, a different stage, knowing that he could find someone in a disaster. Newly graduated dogs can go through tunnels, travel distances of more than 35 yards, and track and find their family members or others trapped during a disaster. These dogs must be trained to be as calm as possible during these exercises. 
The second stage of training is abseiling with a person. If we have to negotiate some cliff or slope, even in buildings that may be inaccessible by stairs, we can lower the dog by this abseiling method. Dogs of different breeds received basic training for two months. They have the option to continue their training so they can become professional rescuers. Cost MNS, NTD News. And coming up is a cellist from Copenhagen who sets herself a challenge to hand carve a cello in 100 days. So stay with us. And we're continuing the program here with a real musical talent. But first, hey, do, are you a musician too? Do you play anything? Oh, I play guitar, acoustic and classical. Nice. What about you, Evelyn? Uh, I play a little bit of the piano, but I am definitely not as talented as this person that is coming up right here, a concert cellist who hand carves cellos herself from scratch. The first one she spent nine months to finish. This time, she took up a 100-day challenge. Let's take a look. The cello holds a special place in the heart of Copenhagen-based artist Ida Regals. Her grandmother played cello and met her grandfather in the youth orchestra. As a child, Ida would watch her sister's cello lessons. And I was just completely falling in love with the sound, the deep tone and the warmth. And I, I, I played her cello at home when I thought knew, nobody knew. Uh, I just wanted to try what I had heard, what I heard her doing in her lessons, and of course my parents knew it, and um, then I also got to have my own cello lessons. After becoming a concert cellist when she grew up, Ida visited music shop after music shop, searching for the perfect cello. After probably ten years, I I realized I might never find it. And then I thought, okay, but why not just make it myself? Then I can get everything the way I like it. With no idea whether she would finish, she set out to hand carve a cello in a hundred days. So I started working and I, I loved it. <laughs> Lack of carpentry experience didn't stop her. Only having completed two weeks of a course in Cambridge as a taster in making instruments, she learned through watching videos online and hard work. And I had a 15 kilo piece of wood that I started out with. And in the end, you have 700 grams of curved wood, yes. So I had to remove 14 kilos with my hands. <laughs> uh, and I got so many blisters and really sore arms. And, <laughs> and that's not without challenges. Seeing slow progress, she had doubts if she could make her deadline. She took to Instagram to document her journey in progress each day. Slowly, a lot of people began to follow her hashtag 100 days of cello making. This inspired her further and made her deadline harder to escape. Ida worked from morning until evening during this time to hand carve the cello. She would even dream about it at night. She wished to design the cello to appear as if it was smiling. Struggling to find out which design she wanted, she reached out to her followers to decide. And then I realized, of course, those wonderful people who are encouraging me to do my best, they also want to hear it and they think it will play in a hundred days. And she did it. By day 96, she completed the cello and was ready to test its sound. And what better place to try it out than her childhood home, the very spot where she played cello for the first time as a child. 
I was just really happy and uh, I felt like uh, falling in love because the sound was very much the way I hoped it was. If Ida's grandmother was still alive, she would have been very proud. I think she would have played it very beautifully. And I think she would have also enjoyed that this instrument actually, the shape of it is very much inspired by her cello, the cello that um, I also started playing on in the first place. Wow, you know, that's a great achievement, and it's what a beautiful sound. The cello says after about 100 years, the wood starts to harden and tone matures to a new level. But she said the sound of fresh wood is really appealing too, and you know what, I agree. Mm, totally, and it looks so good. She didn't even use all the 100 days, so great job. Yeah. And she actually traveled for concerts by bicycle with her cello on her back. And she said the longest one she did was from Switzerland to the Netherlands along the Rhine River, around 7,000 miles. She played 40 concerts along that river. How cool is that? That's amazing. And on that note, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning@ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. Have a great day. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan. Thank you.